Brandon, you were getting too emotional here. Why did you blunder here? 90% of the time, there was actually some sort of reason that I blundered. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. Today on episode 605 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with Evan Rabin. Evan has the unique combination of mastery at what he loves to do, plus competence in sales and business. His niche, chess, has lessons for all of us in how we can respond to unexpected obstacles. Stay with us to hear all the details. You know, figuring out your unique combination of what you love and what you're competent at doing is one of the keys to success in your own business. Helping you find your uniqueness is just one of the ways the Smashing the Plateau community can help you launch and grow your consulting business, especially if you've had a long career as a high-achieving employee before you became a consultant. I know I've always had a great deal of trouble seeing my own uniqueness. That's why I've learned to rely on the wisdom and feedback of trusted colleagues. You can have the benefit of a whole community of trusted colleagues when you join the Smashing the Plateau community. Go to smashingtheplateau.com slash community to learn more. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Now let's welcome Evan Rabin. Evan was born and raised in New York. After working in corporate America doing enterprise sales at Oracle and Rapid7, he formed Premier Chess in September 2017. Premier Chess currently runs programs in over 80 schools and companies, including the law firm Kramer 11. He's a U.S. chess national master. Evan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your career. I mean, it's kind of interesting. You went corporate and then you didn't. What's behind that? Uh, basically, I graduated Brandeis University in May 2012. I was studying business and international global studies um, after a very brief stint uh, working at Chess in the Schools for six months. I started my career at Oracle, where I was doing enterprise sales for three years. And then I went to Rapid7 uh, selling data security for a year. And it was enjoyable. I, I loved sales. I loved, uh, you know, working, you know, with great individuals and, you know, being analytical in sales, but ultimately decided that, you know, I wanted to sell what I love. So in September 2017, I formed Premier Chess. And within the first two months of the business, uh, you know, we were in 14 schools and had 10 instructors, uh, you know, working for us. So um, just kind of kept going from there. Uh, congratulations. What does it mean to be analytical in sales? I think what it comes down to is always trying to figure out, you know, how you could carve out your territory, look for the low hanging fruit. You know, I remember when I first started at Oracle, my good friend and mentor, Bill Peterson, used to mentioned that, you know, a lot of sales reps and when they're first starting out, they look for, you know, the big whales. They look for, you know, their biggest deals possible. But at the end of the day, you know, those are a little bit difficult and it's better to, you know, look for, you know, smaller upgrades and things like that. I actually wrote a blog post a couple of weeks ago about the parallels between sales and chess. And I talked about low hanging fruit and now it's the same thing on, on the chessboard. 
you know, I have a lot of beginner and intermediate students that will pretty much every single time they could go for an attack, but that's not always justified. Uh, yes, the ultimate goal of a chess game is checkmate, you know, means the king is in check and there's no way to get out of check. But at the end of the day, a lot of like master games don't actually end in checkmate. Uh, you know, you get a material advantage and then you win. So the point is, you know, you need to look for the specific weaknesses and figure out where to attack and whether it's on the border and sales or anything else for that matter. Yeah, the other parallel that comes to my mind is entrepreneurs in particular are often enamored of um, what they perceive to be massive breakthroughs that other people mm. achieve. And they they try to get them and they hope to get them often much more quickly than is actually realistic. Mm. What we typically don't see is that when somebody else achieves a breakthrough, there have been hundreds or maybe even thousands of tiny steps and pivots along the way. And those steps and pivots take a lot of time. They take energy, they take focus, they take perseverance. And, um, you know, which speaks to your your comment about the low-hanging fruit and going for the the incremental steps along the way. Yeah, and I, I think it's, you know, important to, you know, consider. And I think, yeah, like every entrepreneur and chess player definitely has a drive, you know, that I would say is more important in a way than even like studying, uh, you know, chess or anything else. You know, you could study sales all you want, but until you actually get into like the weeds of it and, and just do it, you know, you're not going to succeed. You know, that's why we were in 14 schools and literally two months, you know, but we just went at it. So Evan, how did it feel to suddenly make this huge shift and focus all your time and energy on something that you love as opposed to something that was interesting and maybe you were good at, but wasn't fueling something that was a kind of a personal desire? Yeah, I mean, I would say it felt great. You know, we just, look, everyone says it, right? When you do something you love, you're not, you know, exactly working. You know, there are definitely elements that I don't like, of course. And, uh, you know, I'm actually outsourcing most of those. You know, we recently brought on a, a full-time, a part-time, you know, operations and finance person, uh, you know, releasing a lot of the burden of, you know, some of the operations. But, you know, everything else I, I pretty much love. You know, I love going to classrooms. I love teaching. You know, I love the, all the corporate classes that we do. I love hiring instructors and networking, be on podcasts like this, you know, just talking about what we do. You know, it's, it's never a dull moment, you know, I'm also going around from, from meeting to meeting. It's not like, you know, being in the office and, you know, flexible. I mean, I, I don't see myself ever working again uh, for someone. Right. And the other thing is, as an entrepreneur, once we've been doing it for a period of time, most of the time, somebody else doesn't really want to hire us. We don't make good fits as employees. No, it's very true. You know, it's funny. I, I was just networking with someone the other day who, who does sales at Google, you know, tr seeing how we could help each other. And he was like, hey, by the way, do you, you know, do you want to potentially get hired? And I said, like, no. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it felt weird to say that, you know, to turn someone down at Google. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah. still, it, you know, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, well, congratulations on uh, on what you have achieved. How far in were you, Evan, when you felt like what the business that you had launched was sustainable? 
Uh, pretty much like in those first two months and it was sustainable. You know, also, frankly, it's not as much of a niche as people think either. You know, in New York alone, there are off the top of my head, 12 chess companies and more, you know, and, and it's been working for, you know, many years. So I just knew, uh, you know, from, from prior history that it could definitely work especially with my, my sales background and willingness to, you know, run programs around the country. And I pretty much never looked back. So given the fact that there was competition, what do you think differentiated you your business from what was already out there so that you could gain traction pretty quickly? I would say the biggest thing is my business acumen. Most of the chess companies in New York... Uh, are run by chess players, you know, who are, are great at chess and great at teaching, but they're just not particularly great at sales. You know, I've had schools be surprised that, you know, we would even send them a statement of work compared to like previous chess companies that they've worked with, you know, years ago that just said, hey, we're coming in tomorrow. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, and for me coming from Oracle and Rapid7, like there's no way I would start working at a school without a, a signed contract. You know, it just was like common sense to me. You know, other things like, you know, just being very, very professional with, 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 with standards, making sure that, you know, I'm also very hands-on with uh, all of our programs as much as possible, especially, obviously, our New York schools. You know, we do have some schools around the country that are a little harder to visit, but even them, I, you know, communicate every, every week and, you know, add value every way as possible. And yeah, I'd say the last, you know, big thing is being a master uh, as well. I am rated, you know, in the top 1.5% of players uh, in the country. There are a few other chess companies, you know, held by masters, but, you know, some aren't. You know, it, it, all the time people tell me like, oh, wow, you, you must be such a good chess player. You run a chess company. And I honestly laugh because my biggest competitor is not run by a chess player or a rated chess player. It is what it is, you know, and, and, and he actually has, you know, some, some great instructors and, and staff who are titled players, but, you know, it's definitely not like a, an obvious thing that you would be a strong chess player to, to run a chess company. Right. So you have the unique combination of love and competence for the sector that you're in. Yeah, I would say love, confidence, you know, also the business skills. I did actually, before Premier Chess, also start a different company, Pillar Sales, that uh, did sales for, for startups. Did that for about a year, actually, while I was teaching chess a little bit, like on the side. And were you full-time in that other company? Mostly. I mean, I was teaching chess like 10% uh, and like doing that 90%. Ah, oh, okay. But you weren't working uh, in corporate at that point? No. Okay. What made you decide to start the sales company first? Uh, actually, one of my former Oracle colleagues, Jad Shaheen, had a fintech startup. And uh, he was, at the time, struggling for salespeople and just met me one day. And, and you know, he knew I was open to potentially leaving Rapid7. And, uh, you know, basically said, like, look, me and so many other entrepreneurs are struggling to find salespeople. Why don't we, like, consider doing this, uh, starting a sales outsourcing business? 
And I kind of like brushed him away actually from the idea. It didn't really like make that much sense to me. And then literally like two nights later, I was at a Shabbat dinner and talking to my friend Jonah, who's a serial entrepreneur. And I literally just asked him like what he was doing, you know, and he was like, wow, I'm starting this like sales business, (laughs) you know? And I was like, whoa, (laughs) like I just was talking to my friend Jad about like, almost the same thing two days ago. So then I, you know, started to think about it a little bit more and eventually all of us kind of like met up one day, you know, he and his two business partners and Jad and I. And then, uh, you know, it was interesting because eventually Jonah and Jad actually pulled out pretty early on, but then the three of us stayed, Dale and Jonathan and I, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. I, you know, I did it for a year. I was like traveling around the world in Iceland, Israel, England, you know, meeting startups that were looking to come to the U.S., you know, it wasn't easy. And, you know, at the same time, I was, you know, teaching chess again in in New York and uh, said, you know, like, why not do this? You know, why why not sell chess? You know, I did have a couple of connections as well. And uh, just, yeah, I got got the ground running. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, in fact, the chess business is your second business. Correct. Got it. So now in your current business, who do you describe as your ideal client? So for us, it's pretty broad. We do have three main types of clients. We have our corporate clients that are generally 50 employees and up, in particular law firms, tech firms, and hedge funds, and banks as well. Those are just some verticals that certainly have a lot of chess players in it. Then we also do a lot of school programs all around the country, really every type of school uh, from preschool to 12th grade, public, charter, private, doesn't really matter. You know, we we could be there. And then, you know, individuals, you know, age three to 100 plus that are looking to, you know, learn business and life lessons through the game, uh, whether it be privately or, you know, in a group class. What's the most common problem you saw for them? The biggest problem we have, you know, for organizations in particular is just giving organizations platform, you know, basically as a playground for critical thinking uh, and development. So we, you know, realized that, for instance, with, you know, lawyers at at Kramer 11 that we teach, you know, once a month, you know, they're they're attorneys, they, they, they know a lot in and out, you know, many of them have been practicing for you know, 10, 20 plus years. But at the end of the day, every single uh, case is different. You know, just like on a chessboard, you know, I all the time will go over games with students and I'll ask, you know, a student, oh, like, why do you make this move, you know, in a, in a given opening position? And be like, oh, well, that's like the common move. That's what I normally make. You know, and then I'll say, well, have you seen this position before? And then I'll start to say, oh yeah, I've seen similar positions. I, and I'm like, no, I didn't ask that. Have you seen this position before? No. Well, I haven't either. So guess what? This case is a little bit different, right? So it's, you know, thinking about what you've learned before, you know, but also thinking on your feet. Right. So how do you deal with unexpected situations? Dealing with unexpected situations and also being able to, even if it's something that you've, you know, seen before, you know, not rushing through it and not, Yes, using your instincts, that obviously I think is a very important 
part of chess or business or anything else, but not blindly uh, doing so. Yeah, I think that not rushing through it when you're in an unexpected situation sounds to me like a real aha moment for people. Because particularly if the unexpected situation makes you feel uncomfortable, you may want to get it over with as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. It just it, Look, chess, half of the battle is controlling your emotions. My coach, actually, Grandmaster Lena Dudasen, who I'm working on a book with now, actually, He's a former world championship candidate. I used to get annoyed at him, you know, when we first started working together because, you know, we'd go over one of my games and, you know, he'd say something like, oh, Evan, you're getting too emotional here. <laughs> you know, and I, I kept being like, my extra, <laughs> like you're a chess coach, you're not my, you know, psychologist. And, you know, he would then like ask me like, look, wh- why did you blunder here? And I'm like, look, I made a silly mistake. I wasn't thinking like, Let's move on. Let's go to the next, you know, game or whatever. But, you know, no, he, he, he would dig into it. And 90% of the time, there was actually some sort of reason that I blundered. You know, whether I was, I misvaluated the position. I was thinking about something completely unrelated, you know, like an exam the next day. Or I was tired and I shouldn't have even played the tournament. You know, I, I kind of did that yesterday, actually. I played a tournament because it was scheduled, but I kind of was running around all morning before, ran home literally with like a minute to spare, you know, to hop on the online tournament. And like, of course, I, you know, blundered the first two games. I just wasn't, you know, in, in the mindset, you know, to, to play. So I think it's, uh, yeah, really important to, uh, you know, be able to control that and uh, be able to, uh, you know, take a deep breath and, uh, you know, just go. So how important do you find your mindset is and how important do you find it is to understand your emotions when you're facing an unexpected situation in order to be able to come out on the other side with a a move that is as successful as possible in terms of how it positions you for the future? I think it's extremely important. You know, one common mistake that a lot of players, including myself, make a lot, um, as much as I try not to, is letting a domino effect happen. You know, you make one mistake, you know, you go from a winning position to, you know, a slightly better position to a losing position to an equal, you know, to a completely losing position, right? Very, very, very common. So the biggest thing I tell students all the time, actually, is, look, you make a mistake, it happens, you know, go get up, go get a drink of water, you know, relax, take a deep breath, you know, and come back to the board and, and play a whole new game, basically, you know, as much as possible. Similarly, once people lose a game, you know, they'll be so much more likely to lose another game and, you know, a bunch more. So, yeah, I think uh, ultimately it really is just important to, you know, take, take a deep breath and think about it as... You know, a game that's serious, but not like too crazy. For the folks that you teach in the in a business context using chess, what are some of their takeaways when it comes to understanding their mindset and their emotions when they're dealing with, with one of these unexpected yet critical junctures in their business? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, business people, uh, you know, could, could struggle when there's you know, an unexpected turn, right? I mean, take 
think COVID-19, of course, is a, a very good example of that. It's a great example. <laughs> of course, I mean, probably better than anything else. But uh, yeah, you know, in March 2020, you know, pretty much businesses suddenly had to stop. And some flourished and some pivoted and flourished. Some pivoted and flourished. Uh, we did. We started running all of our programs virtually for the most part plus a lot more. I was actually quoted in the New York Times about how our virtual business went up 150%. You know, yet I honestly, like, almost disappoints me sometimes when I, like, still hear, like, some chess people, chess teachers, for instance, have not taught virtual classes, you know, since then. And I'm just like, whoa. You know, like, they're, they, you know, some of them have just been off, you know, haven't, like, adapted. So, yeah, like, I think the, the point is, you know, it's really important to be able to, you know, use this as an opportunity, not a problem. And, you know, ultimately take it and, and, and realize, you know, things happen for a reason. You know, given the pandemic, actually, I've, you know, personally been able to, you know, connect with people all around the world. You know, I've had one person who comes to mind is, is this lady, Tandra, uh, who's uh, a life coach in Slovenia that I met networking. She's been on my podcast, actually, and I'm coming on hers, actually, in a, in a few weeks. And just, you know, taking advantage of, you know, the whole situation. Uh, you know, if you see there's like a new competitor out there, like, you know, use them as a partner. You know, we get tons of business from other chess companies and vice versa. You know, so really it's important just to, uh, you know, you see something that's like, you know, incorrect, you know, it's, you know, what could you learn from it? And, uh, you know, how could you actually use it uh, into your advantage? Yeah, the ability to, um, to reflect, understand where you are, understand what's driving you, and then um, learn from that and pivot is really critical. Evan, we've covered a lot of territory about um, your own career trajectory the success that you have achieved in your in your business and also how you help your clients. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today, access any resources you may have or learn more about you, get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go? Thank you. So yeah, thank you again for having me. And I do want to actually give a quick shout out to Gary Ireland, your previous guest, uh, which is how I found out about you. Uh, he's also been on my podcast as well. But uh, yeah, if anyone is interested in learning more, talking chess, learning about options as a company, uh, as a school, as an individual to you know, work with us, you could certainly check out premierchess.com or you could email Evan at premierchess.com. Sounds great. Well, Evan, it's been a pleasure to have you on today as part of, uh, part of Smashing the Plateau. My guest today has been the CEO of Premier Chess Academy, Evan Rabin, thank you for sharing your story with a Smashing the Plateau community. Thank you. My sincere pleasure. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today we learned how you use your unique combination of mastery at what you love to do, plus other areas of competence to build a successful business. Figuring out your unique combination of what you love and what you're competent at doing is one of the keys to success in your own business. 
Helping you find your uniqueness is just one of the ways the Smashing the Plateau community can help you launch and grow your consulting business, especially if you've had a long career as a high-achieving employee before you became a consultant. The challenge is it's hard to see what makes you unique on your own. I know I've always had a great deal of trouble seeing my own uniqueness. That's why I've learned to rely on the wisdom and feedback of trusted colleagues. You can have the benefit of a whole community of trusted colleagues when you join the Smashing the Plateau community. Go to smashingtheplateau.com community to learn more. That's smashingtheplateau.com community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.